So good morning, everyone. How are we, how are we doing this morning? Good, 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 good. Yeah, I'm Jamie. I'm the youth specialist here at Mosaic. Um, I'm responsible for running the youth program from grades 4 through 12. Uh, Brad's away this week, and he's obviously asked me to come and speak to you guys. Um, I'm also a father of two, uh, to Fletcher and Finnegan. Uh, Fletcher this morning decided to play Hide Daddy's Glasses. So, um, so uh, as you can see, I am sans glasses this morning, so I had to blow up my talk. So I do apologise if I give you completely the wrong message. Anyway, let's get down to it. Um, Brad has been preaching over the last couple of weeks uh, about good news and uh, how in these troubling times, how to spot and identify good news, even when it's not obvious. I'm here to talk about how the best things in our lives, most of the time, start out small and insignificant. This isn't always a bombastic, most fantastic event uh, happening in our lives that changes us in some way. Um, but, and it always can't be seen or, you know, hard to identify. And that's the same in our spiritual lives. I kind of like to think myself a bit of a history buff. And weirdly for an Englishman, uh, my favorite subject is American history. When we moved to Philadelphia six years ago, I wasn't able to work due to my visa restrictions. And uh, so I passed the time learning more about uh, the country of my new home. And a good place for me to start was uh, reading about your presidents. Uh, I must have read lots of books from John Adams to even Calvin Coolidge to James Madison to William Taft. But the president that really stuck out in my mind uh, was, uh, and this was partly down to a fantastic trilogy, was um, President Theodore Roosevelt, who is image behind me. Now... We all here should know old Teddy and some of what he achieved in office. But what I was really fascinated by was his childhood. Roosevelt was born quite a sickly, weak child. He was blighted by asthma and other ailments for a lot of his childhood that prevented him doing anything strenuous at all. Now, as a fellow asthma sufferer in my youth, I could totally relate to that. Um, but my asthma was treatable with an inhaler, but medicine was not, not you know, it wasn't as advanced as, uh, as it is now, and so the normal treatment for a child of that, from that period was basically to just keep them in the house and protect them from all the toxins and just whatever's going on outside, um, and, and, uh, but Theodore's father had other ideas for his son. Going against all the advice of his doctors, uh, Roosevelt's father built him a mini gym. I actually visited Roosevelt's house uh, in Manhattan, and you can still see it um, with medicine balls and pull-up bars and other physical building equipment. And he made Teddy work out every day for long periods to build up his stamina and strength. And uh, Teddy grew stronger, and he could breathe easier until he was able to play sports and eventually go to college and be on the, box, uh, the varsity boxing team. He then became a cowboy cattle rancher in the Badlands, and then entered politics, headed the naval office, and then he went off and battled the Spanish-American War, and then became president. But he didn't even stop there. After his presidency, he went on safari in Africa and explored Amazon. No, not the shopping on, uh, online Mecca, the river. Anyway... Here was a boy who had illnesses, but because of his father's determination, 
not to let those, uh, those illnesses define him, he became one of your greatest historical figures. Now, this sermon's not going to tell you that you need to work out more, although I probably should. It's how we view and see the kingdom of God, which is perceived to be this big, amazing, faraway place, and that we are this tiny, insignificant thing miles away from it. Jesus tells a fantastic parable to explain the notion of this, and I'm going to use it to help uh, break this idea down. The parable is the parable of the mustard seed, and I'm going to read the version in Mark chapter 4, verse 30 to 32. Again, he said, what should we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what should we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Now, we've probably all heard the saying, from little, from little acorns do mighty oaks grow. At first glance, you might think that Jesus is making the same point with a mustard seed taking the part of the acorn. Well, and indeed, that is part of his point. Jesus contrasts the tiniest of the mustard seed with the hugeness of the resulting shrub. And and we see this theme throughout Scripture where God uses um, the small, insignificant, and unlikely to do amazing things that are part of his plan. Think of the little shepherd boy, David, who defeats the giant Goliath and eventually comes king. Think of Moses, who God calls when he is old, insecure, and an incredible escapee to deliver his people out of Egypt. There are many examples throughout Scripture where God takes the small and insignificant and works works them in mighty ways. So that is one thing that we can take away from this parable. But it's exactly like the parable itself. There is so much more to this parable that Jesus is inviting his listeners to enter into. Now, Jesus um, designed his parables so that his listeners could easily identify and grasp the arguments what Jesus was presenting. And when Jesus said his parable live, the majority, if not everybody, would grasp, uh, easily grasp his meaning because most came from a rural setting and worked the land. Now, when it comes to hearing Jesus' parable in a modern industrialized age, we often have a disadvantage. We're not as familiar, as familiar with the agricultural setting of the parables, and so sometimes we can struggle to understand them as fully. Now, this isn't really a problem with this parable, and as I'm sure we've all planted a seed, or at least familiar with the concept of a small seed growing into a huge, beautiful plant. And I'm sure we have all witnessed birds creating nests in the branches of trees. For this parable, we suffer a different disadvantage. What we don't have is the familiarity that they, they, the original listeners, had with the references to the Old Testament. For example, we really miss the impact of Jesus' opening question in verse 30. What should we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable should we use to describe it? This question that Jesus asks is really reminiscent of the famous verse... Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18, where Isaiah asks, With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? And then it goes on in a comparable verse, 25, To to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. 
Now, Jesus' listeners would have had a great understanding of this and would have used verse 22 of the same chapter to back it up. He sits enthroned of the circle of earth, and the people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, and he spreads them out like a tent to live in. Now, Isaiah is clearly trying to describe and capture the awesomeness of God, and that we are like little grasshoppers in comparison to his power and glory. So Jesus here is kind of setting them up by asking, what do we compare the kingdom of God? They would have been expecting Jesus to say, it was huge. Sorry, that was my best Bernie there. That was terrible, I know. But like, you know, or he was expect, they were expecting Jesus to get political or current and say it was bigger than the Roman Empire, which covered most of the Western world at that point. No, he compares it to a mustard seed which is the smallest of smallest seeds. What are you talking about, Jesus? So you're saying the kingdom of God is like this insignificant seed. You've got my attention. I'm sure they would have been all really eager to see what what he had to say next. Jesus then goes on to say that this little seed, when planted, grows into one of the biggest plants, which grows incredible branches to provide shelter for all the birds. Okay, That's more like it. The kingdom grows into something amazing and beautiful, and Jesus is going back to reference the Old Testament, this time in Psalms, as as well as the prophets Daniel and Ezekiel, where the trees were often used as imagery to describe kingdoms. For example, in Ezekiel 17, verse 22, this is what the sovereign Lord said, I myself will take a shoot from the very top of the cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from the topmost shoots and plant it on a high, lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it, and it will produce branches and bear fruit, and it will become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it, and they will find, shade of, uh, find shelter in its shade of its branches. So Jesus is using previous prophecies in this parable to show that this mighty kingdom will encompass all people. So his listeners would probably would have wondered if he's talking about maybe Israel's vindication after all. The great tree that represents a resurgent kingdom, Israel. But Jesus is actually making the point, don't, expe- uh, don't expect this mighty kingdom to come in a big catechismic way. It will start very, very small. It will grow organically from small to huge from insignificant to mighty. And through this parable, Jesus is giving a picture of how God works and God's way of growing his kingdom. Um, God's kingdom is going to start small and grow and will eventually grow bigger than anyone can imagine. So this means humble beginnings can lead to great results. So that is all well and good. But how is this good news for us? How does it involve us? Well, this, this parable was designed to be per, uh, full of personal growth and especially a parable to, grow, uh, to spread hope. Jesus the, uses the story of the mustard seed to show that when the mustard seed is sown, it produces mighty results. Now, most of you know that my other job is being a DJ, um, and I would love to share you a story about that. Um, a long, uh, long while ago, while I was really struggling with my faith, in fact, it was pretty non-existent, 
Um, you know, I was enjoying, really enjoying the ex excesses of rock and roll lifestyle. I was playing clubs to a couple of hundred people at most. I really thought I was a big kahuna. Um, I wasn't by any means. In fact, I was a big fish in a very, very, well, not even small pond, probably more a tiny goldfish bowl. And I was heading towards, a, down a very, very dark road. Um, but I had an incredible encounter with God that brought me back to my faith. That's another story. But, and actually, I've shared it before. And if you want to talk to me about it, I'm very, very happy to share it with you. Um, but the part I want to focus on is um, the part when I came back to my faith. I actually wanted to walk away from DJing and start over completely something and do something that where I could really impact people and spread my faith. Um, and I was all ready to do that when Jesus actually grabbed me by the scruff of my neck. And uh, I was walking across a bridge in London, uh, one of my favorite bridges, um, Waterloo Bridge. And um, I was minding my own business um, when I clearly heard him say, hey, you were born to DJ and I want you to DJ. Go on and DJ and use your faith in those small, dingy clubs. Well, I was nervous and scared. And I made no secret of my newfound faith with my friends, but I had no idea how to do it. But incredible things started to happen. People would come to me in the middle of, the no the, of a noisy club and go, <coughs> hey, I know you're a Christian, and I'm really struggling with this issue. Can I talk to you about it? And some of the issues were really quite deep and some dark stuff. One that comes to mind um, was a person that was struggling with drugs and alcohol. And they thought it was just recreational. But actually, they were really sliding into abuse and just, to, just to escape. And we'd talk and talk. And finally, before I had to go back and DJ, they'd actually asked me to pray for them, which blew my mind, um, as it took a lot for them to step out and ask me that in a club. I initially looked for the nearest exit, but here was a per person asking me, needing help. So I did. I never saw them again, but I knew it took a lot for them to do that. Now, I started looking for, for other ways to, to develop this and, you know, doing it in more proactive ways. And so that developed in me to get in together with a good friend of mine and forming a club where our church friends could bring their club friends and their social friends and show that we church types can have a good time and cut some rug too. But also chat freely about faith in a completely, completely secular setting. So not bringing them to church, but bringing church to them, but in a completely honest and open way. Now, this grew to be one of the most popular nights in London. But also, people started coming to the church because of it. Jesus used me and my DJing skills and promotion skills to help people come to faith. He helped me overcome my inadequacies and then use my position as a DJ to help others in need and grow a ministry from there. This is what Jesus is talking about. God used his own son to demonstrate the kingdom of God. A small baby to unwed parents in a small, water back, you know, small town, backwater town, recruits a small, ragtag bunch of fishermen and the like who realize exactly who he is and then help him spread his incredible message and eventually evolve into the Christian faith that we know today. God didn't use a privileged, privileged king or an influential rabbi. He used a humble carpenter, meaning that small beginnings means 
big results. What I'm trying to say here is we must not count, uh, discount any of our backgrounds, our faults, what we imagine to be our weaknesses. We all start somewhere, regardless of our financial capabilities, our talents, our gifts. We are all, wherever we are, on our journey with faith. We all start as little seeds. Like me, in regards to reg regaining and reimagining what my faith looked like and how I was to use it, and then arming me with friends to help me grow the mission and putting me and the club into bigger and bigger venues as we grew. Not only my confidence, but ideas and seeing the growth and development of people who came through the doors. One side I actually didn't anticipate was and did not see coming was how it strengthened the church that I attended. The church I attended was a big church um, and was attended by people all over London. And so it was easy to fall into one set of friends and not really get to get know uh, all the church. But when, cheap, uh, when people from the church started attending um, our club, it broke a lot of barriers between the members and themselves um, as they would recognize each other from church and then start chatting to each other and building relationships that they might not have even done in the actual church. And so that was also a product of our club ministry, something that I could have never seen or intended. The kingdom of God is where God wants... Uh, sorry, I'll say that again. The kingdom of God is where God wants done is done. It's where the blood, sweat, and tears are. It's not just where the fruits of the labor are done. Look at the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom done, sorry, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, what God wants to be done is already done. So by asking God's kingdom to come and asking God's will to be done on earth, on, uh, on earth, I was asking the same thing. God's kingdom coming to earth means that what God wants to happen on earth will happen on earth. This is Jesus' personal prayer for all of us, no matter where we are. And the parable of the mustard seed speaks to us as a whole congregation. If you consider yourself a seasoned oak of a member, or this is your first time in the church, a little seed of a plant that hasn't even been planted yet. This church, Mosaic, is so inspiring. When I chat to all of you, and hear and learn about your stories. I'm, I always leave a little bit invigorated and a little bit out of breath. As I, next time you'll see me, I'm probably chasing after my two-year-old son, Fletcher, as he tears around the church. But seriously, our church's vision, Mosaic Community Church, Philadelphia, seeks to make our city even better by joining in Jesus' ongoing work in the world so that all people might have spiritually connected, purpose-filled, and satisfying lives. What a great mission statement. What a hopeful mission statement. Making our city better by carrying on and making real Jesus' intent for us all. Not just the people in the four walls here, but for everyone in communities. We all have an impact on people we meet, work with, socialize with, live with, even if we can't see it or struggle even to know what to do with it, the kingdom of God is here. And this is what Jesus is getting to. But we alone can't make growth happen. 
A seed doesn't just grow on, grow on its own steam, right? We need that little bit of hope, that bit of faith, just to start the process. God will take over and bring out abundant growth beyond what we can see and imagine. God can take the seed, out of, seed of his gospel that is sown in us as individual, and that is the, the center of who we are together, and we can make it grow into something amazing that is beyond our power to produce anything by our own efforts. That is the amazing thing about the seed of the gospel. It may be small, but it's alive, and it's predisposed towards growth. And so Jesus is the difference maker, and although he may be at work, without you realizing it. So what are all the implications of this? Well, as I told you, my role in this church is with the youth, and I have a passion for seeing youth the youth achieve their dreams and, you know, achieve things that they never thought possible, you know. And we're normally upstairs discussing, you know, uh, or one of my team are upstairs discussing, playing, discovering, or even questioning new things about their faith. Each and every one of these kids are like mustard seeds, sown into the ground, packed down, ready to start blooming into whatever God intended them to be. Seeds need water, right? And so these kids need to be nurtured and guided. They need to have a positive influence on them. Someone who's been there before, done it, got the T-shirt to help them navigate through the stormy, stormy passage of adolescence. I was extremely lucky to have people in my life to do that. Yes, I still mucked up all the time. I had my parents, my brother, sister, wife, friends, mentors to help me achieve And I'm sure Theodore Roosevelt would have never achieved all he achieved if his father hadn't defied then medical knowledge and did what he did. Yet, I know my work's not done up there. I still need to step out. I still need to risk things. I still need to challenge these kids. I need to challenge myself in my ministry. And so this parable is about taking hope that God's is even working when we can't see it. And it's not taking the size or shape that we expect. It's about being patient and believing that God's kingdom is growing and it will eventually come in, in all its glory. It's about recognizing that God can grow his kingdom in us and through us. And while it may start small, it can grow up into huge proportions. It's about believing that this small gospel message has the power to change and transform lives, congregations, communities, even the world. So I want to ask you, where do you need hope in God's ability to bring a mighty shrub out of a little seed? Where do you need faith that God is working even though you can't see it? I just want to try something. So... I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, but I want to take some time just meditate on it. So I just want us all to close our eyes. And we've been doing a little thing here where we just breathe in for seven seconds and just let it out for seven seconds. And then breathe in for seven seconds and breathe out for seven seconds. So let's just do that. Okay? So just breathe in. 
and breathe out. Just breathe in. Breathe out. Now I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. One of them might not even be relevant to you, but I'm sure one of them will. And if God can use you, God can do more than you would expect if you really believe it. So the first question is, what would you try or risk and make you step out of your comfort zone? Just dwell on that. What would you try or risk and make you step out of your comfort zone? The second question is, who would you pay more attention to in the church, community, work, social scene? And again, just dwell on that for a minute until someone comes into your mind. Don't worry if no one does, but just dwell on that for a minute. Now the third question is, what's asking? Now ask yourself, what is holding you back from doing that? What's preventing you from striking out that conversation? From asking that person to go out for a coffee or a drink? And then lastly, and most importantly, where are you running out of gas? Where do you need encouragement? I just want you to hold on to those ideas and ask Jesus to come alongside you And ask him to turn that mustard seed into a beautiful tree where birds can come and sit among its shade. Amen. Uh, Can I invite the band to come up and uh, get ready for worship? All right, good morning, everyone.